probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome back to the Thing Minute podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me again today is... Martha Moore from MarthaMoreAudio.com. Yeah, rounding out the week with us. Thank you so much. It's been fun. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yep, <laughs> definitely. You came along at, at the exact right moment to come into some of the some of the first really like crazy scenes in the movie. So it was some good timing. <laughs> so today we are talking about minute thirty. We made it up to our the, the first half hour of the movie here. So this begins with the uh, one of the poor dogs still getting squirt with that carbapole by the nasty thing monster, and then it ends a minute later with uh, McCready just grabbing a beer out of the fridge. So <laughs> seems like two very different movies when you look at it that from that perspective. Yes, yeah, so all this chaos and hor- awful stuff is going is happening, and then someone's drinking a beer. Yep, just grab grabbing a grabbing a Budweiser out of the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we begin the scene again with uh, with the the dog monster just you know shooting that nasty goop at the poor dog, and uh, just sort of. You know, continuing to do his gross out thing and looking nasty. Um, and the poor dog is really trying to get away. It's kind of awful to watch. <laughs> yeah, a dog is getting the squirt for sure. But maybe you can explain something to me. Yeah. This is the part that I don't get about this scene. Mm-hmm. Like, he's walking down the hallway so slowly, and you can hear the dogs. And I'm always thinking to myself when I've watched this, I'm like, is he. It's just scared. Is he going slow because he doesn't want to run and find anything? Like, it's almost like he's he doesn't want to see what's going on. Like, he's going really slow down the hallway. Like, do you think you would be, you know, you're running towards the sound? Or, yeah. And then I was thinking, well, couldn't he hear the dogs, like the cacophony of sound? Or is that door, that steel door, I don't know if it's, it looks like a wooden door, but. Could he hear not hear anything going on this whole time? Yeah, I mean it's funny you mention that because I, I never really thought about that either until I was just watching it right before we started. That it is kind of out of place. Like like later, like a, in the next minute or two, when McCready hears it, he like pulls the alarm and like gathers everybody and they're all like running up there. But yeah, Clark just sort of meanders on over there. Yeah, I don't I don't know if it is like he's scared or. I mean, I guess once he cuts the light on and the light doesn't come on, that's uh, that would be a, definitely something to be kind of creeped out by and know that something's wrong. But um, yeah, it is. It's eerily silent when he walks down. Like maybe not even eerie. Maybe eerie's not the right word, but like like nonsensically quiet. <laughs> I mean, is he drunk? Like, was he drinking or like it was he half asleep? Yeah, maybe it's- that's what we're what they're supposed to be because this is supposed to be like in the middle of the night. I think it's supposed to be like four thirty in the morning, and yeah, just so maybe he was asleep. He doesn't really look necessarily like he's kind of, you know, groggy or anything. But yeah, because he looks a little scared. He does look a little scared. But. He's definitely concerned or something. Yeah. But it's like, you know, two seconds ago, this there's like 
eight dogs like going insane, like barking and crying and howling. And there's this like creature making all these crazy sounds. And yeah, and then as soon as he starts walking down the hallway, it's like total silence. Like he hardly, there's hardly anything going on. Um, which, you know, I guess from a movie making standpoint, I get just because it, you know, people always talk about how to do a do a kind of a jump scare properly. It's not really about how loud it is. It's about how quiet it is just before it happens. So uh. it really kind of lulls you into safety and then something pops out and makes a loud noise. Um, yeah. But yeah, definitely from a story point, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense that it's so quiet and that he's he's so kind of anxiously walking up to it. Um, yeah. It always bothers me. I'm like, save the dogs. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it's, he's definitely not not hustling to get over there and take care of it. And two of them make it out. It seems like two of them make it out okay, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and I don't know. I guess, you know, later we know that the dogs all don't necessarily make it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I wonder what happens to these two if they just, just you know, hit the ground and get the hell out of there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe they maybe they ran out of the base and never came back. I don't know. I probably would if I was them. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, at the very beginning when we, when we see the, um, you get to see more of a close up of him kind of squirting that nasty stuff out. And, um, I think I read that it's the sound of pig squeals and bird calls when he's making that noise, which I actually never really noticed because it's, there's still so much, so many sounds of the actual dogs, you know, barking and whining and stuff. It's kind of harder to hear, but yeah, it's a pretty creepy sound when, when you actually look for it. But yeah, we only get a couple seconds of the of the thing here, and then we cut to cut to Clark walking up, and that's definitely a kind of a classic horror moment with the dogs kind of jumping out at him, which is pretty ridiculous, really looking at it. Yeah, it's like where did these dogs come from? It's clearly like somebody. I think even John Carpenter says in the commentary about how it's like he's like, yeah, I know this is kind of a cheap horror scare. We basically just had somebody throw dogs at the sky. Because <laughs> you know like, what's funny about this though now. Now that I think about it, if a dog's scared, it kind of bre- it'll break rank, and you know it's in that fight or flight. So it, but it, yeah, okay. Now I watch it again. Okay, <laughs> they just kind of toss the dog. They're like coming, <laughs> like the first one comes. I mean, like how did that dog get that high up? Like it's jumping. Like I mean, it hits him like in the face almost. Dogs through space. <laughs> well, it's almost too. It's like. You know, really looking at it like logically, as soon as he opened that gate, those dogs would have been like bolting out of there. Like they would have been up against the gate trying to get out. But yeah, it's like he opens it all slowly. And then all of a sudden these dogs just like fly out of nowhere at, at, at his face and <laughs> knock him over. It's pretty silly looking at it, but it definitely builds builds some tension, I guess, looking at it from that perspective. And, you know, it's one of the first kind of jump scares of the movie that really kind of pops out of nowhere. yeah. But, but you know, just on a on an intellectual level, jump scares as opposed to gross out scares, to me, the gross out is much scarier because you just gotta sit there and look at it. Like you just gotta take it, sit there and take <laughs> it. But the jump scares, like it's over. I'm like, okay, you can breathe afterwards. But yeah, it'll get you for a second, but. But you don't have to sit there and just look at it. Yeah, I mean, and be I, disgusted. I think all, all those kind of different kinds of scary things all have different, you know, uses in different places, and that's that's I think that's one of the reasons this movie's so great is it uses all kinds of, you know, it uses like kind of classic just building tension kind of horror and and building kind of a creepy uneasy atmosphere, but then it also does like 
the insane gore stuff like more than almost any other movie. And then it does do it doesn't do it all that often, but it does do a couple really good jump scares like they, this one and the um, the one with the blood test is definitely a, a pretty jump out moment. Oh yeah, but it uses all of those very carefully, like you know, it, and it combines them all in pretty interesting ways. And you know, I think um, one of the other things this actually when you were talking about that made me think of is like actually jump scares. Actually, I think now that we're all it's such a like part of the language of movies that like even your average moviegoer can kind of predict when it's going to happen because it's such a trope um, uh-huh. that it's almost, it works better now, like in a movie. Um, I don't know if you saw the new Blair Witch movie that came out, I think last year. Oh. But uh, that one, I, it's it's not a great movie. It's it's pretty good. But um, I, the one thing I walked away really thinking about is there was a couple scenes in that movie where they really play on that, where you keep thinking there's something that's going to jump out and nothing ever does. So the whole time oh, yeah. you're like on the edge of your seat and I just kept getting like watching. I just kept getting more and more tense because I knew something was about to happen and nothing ever did. So oh. it's like I think that's like even a, a clever way to play with the, you know, like jump scare. Just cheap jump scares are kind of like a, a cheap trope that, you you know, anybody can execute a jump scare and make people jump out of their seats. But, you know, using it really cleverly is much more uh, much more interesting and entertaining for for especially for a horror buff you know somebody who's used to it and knows kind of a, how it usually works and that kind of thing yeah or maybe i've just seen so many that i don't know i mean you've definitely done your research i just i i guess i've always approached it more from a fan level yeah i don't even i don't know why it's scary sometimes but it just is yeah like I- like when all the ring movies came out, that was a different level of horror because you had to sit there and watch this creepy girl just crawl and you couldn't look away. Cause if you did, she was going to catch up to you and get you. Yeah. But that like intensity of just forcing you to sit there and w- look at it, that's frightening. And also the music for those sinister movies in the very beginning, it's kind of like an old style, I think, of uh, some Alfred Hitchcock movies that I've seen before that it reminds me of those where, you know, you've got the block, big block lettering and you've got the strings just like relentless as like and it never lets up. That's just so scary. Like when there's no break, there's no breath. And maybe that's kind of what you're talking about. We're always waiting for the jump out scare and it never comes. Yeah, that's interesting. I actually haven't seen any of the Sinister movies. That, that makes me want to see them more. It, I didn't know they had good, good, interesting music. Yes, it's just, it, you know what? It, it And it reminds me of, I don't know, it's I'm sure like actual horror fans that, that have done a lot of research in the area would maybe they wouldn't want to compare these two movies together, (laughs) but like the movies, uh, 21 days later, 28 weeks later, um, it's the same kind of feeling. And I try to describe it like where they're all running in the daytime and they're running really fast. And it's so scary because it's the daytime. Yeah. And they're not supposed to be able to first of all, run that fast and be out in the daytime. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, that's the same kind of thing. Minute. It's like breaking I mean, the rules. Yeah. Breaking the rules. There's no way to get away from it. 
and to me, that's the scary. That's that's what makes something real scary. Yeah, I mean, we're we're in an interesting place, like time for horror movies, because you know now, like like we said, with stuff like The Walking Dead and and with kind of horror becoming a much more mainstream thing than it used to be, people are much more knowledgeable about those kind of tropes and stuff. And, mm-hmm. and just kind of the rules of like, you know, for example, like you said, how zombies work and stuff like they're not supposed to be fast and they're not supposed to be, you're not really supposed to see them during the daytime and that kind of thing. So now we're in a place where that stuff is so well known that filmmakers can really play with those ideas and kind of subvert your expectations because they know that like they know that like the audience expects one thing because they've seen it in 14 other uh, Friday the 13th movies or whatever. But now, you know, now if they do something a little different, they can really play with it, which is it's kind of cool. It's it's an interesting place to be in for horror where uh, where that language is being kind of rewritten, I guess. Yeah, totally. And I think that's why, you know, I, lo- I know a lot of people said they didn't like the Ring movies, but the movies, the originals that they came from, mm-hmm. the a lot of Asian horror to me is terrifying in a way that Western movies can't are not because uh, and it has to do with culture. Yeah. Like in a lot of Western movies, the evil spirit or whatever terrible thing is happening to you is kind of confined to either a house or, you know, a place like a location. Yeah. If you talk about ghost stories and a lot of the Asian horror has to do with ghosts, it's confined to an area. But a lot like the grudge, the concept of there is no escape like. You can't get away from it. Once it's attached itself to you, you're, you're done. Like that to me, that's the scary part, just the concept. Because, you know, you you see people run, run, run away, run away. But what if you can't run away? Yeah. And th- that's the terrifying part to me. It's like, I think I, I and I think a lot of Asian horror kind of grapples with that concept in their films. Also, respect for elders and how... Mm-hmm that whole part of their culture is deeply ingrained. So in their storytelling, it's going to be, it's going to reflect that, you know, if you piss someone off, (laughs) you're going to really piss them off. Just be careful. Like, like, you know, it's kind of like. The consequences are pretty major. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) No, I mean, that's a good point. And, and, uh, you know, I I think that's interesting to think about with this movie, too, and that they do kind of set it up in the same way that there really is, even though it is tied to this location, like we know the thing is here. We also know there's no way for them to get away from it. Like there's nowhere to go because they're they're stuck. They're stuck in this blizzard in Antarctica and they can't get anybody on the radio. And the closest base to them has already been destroyed by this creature like you know, they definitely set up this sense of like kind of isolation, like there's nowhere they can go and no help is not coming, you know, which is pretty, pretty intense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, speaking of, of other horror movies, we, we didn't get a chance to uh, to talk in, in any of the other minutes about um, any of your other kind of favorite John Carpenter movies or other horror movies in general. Are, are you are you a fan of John Carpenter in, in general? Oh, gosh. Well, um yeah, you know, I'll be honest, like I'm really bad with, um, you know, I, I think I'm thinking how the Halloween movies. Yeah. Um, if you if you told me a list of other John Carpenter movies, I would be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen all those. <laughs> I just didn't know they were John Carpenter movies. Yeah, I, I know. But I and the reason why I know about him is because um, 
the drone like the synthy kind of oh yeah um music that he tends to use and isn't he a composer himself he is or? yeah that's that's all he does now he he writes music and tours as a performer oh wow yeah i know the halloween what other movies has he done so um he he did the first halloween and he did um they live and uh big trouble in little china christine um oh christine yeah christine's mm-hmm. really good people don't ever talk about that movie but that's it's fantastic yeah, I saw it when I was little, I think. They yeah. Live. I know I've seen that one. Yeah, that that's a really good one, one too. Great. Um, oh, Escape from New York and Escape from L.A. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, the same actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kurt, I always think Kurt Russell's Kurt Russell. been in like a ton of his movies, but it's it's mostly just those. Um, the, the, okay. This one and, and the two Escape movies. Oh, and then the other two, he's got two movies that kind of, they form, they're supposed to be like a, a trilogy with this movie and not that they have the same characters or anything, but they're all about like the end of the world in some form or fashion. Prince, oh. of, Prince of Darkness and In the Mouth of Madness that are both, both really, really good, but don't, not a lot of people talk about those generally. Oh yeah. Prince of Darkness. I, I think I've seen both of those at some point. Yeah. And I probably had no idea they were John Carpenter films. Yeah. He's, he does a, his, you know, I talked about this with a couple other people that his style is not super well defined. Like, it's not like, you know, it's not like when you watch a Hitchcock movie, like it's very obviously a Hitchcock movie or, you know, something like that. Uh-huh. But he definitely has some stuff that carries over, like his themes of like paranoia and voyeurism and stuff like that definitely carry over in, in a lot of his movies. But, you know, I mean, he does something like this is like a sci fi horror movie and Halloween is much more like a down to earth kind of, you know, it's, a slasher and then escape from yeah. New York. It's totally different, completely different. That's, you know, like a futuristic, uh, action movie, you know? So yeah. he's, he's kind of, it's a lot of different genre stuff, but, um, you know, he definitely has done a lot of different kinds of movies, which is a sign, a sign of a really good director, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's, he's definitely someone to respect and admire having such longevity to. Yeah. Yeah, he's in. And, he's like in his eighties now and still, you know, doing his thing, t- touring with his band, which is crazy. Oh wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I know a lot. The minutes that we did uh, didn't have a lot of scoring music in them, mm-hmm. but uh, or film score. But that's an interesting story too. I don't know if you've talked about it much in the other uh, clips or in the other minutes, but oh, just a little bit, but yeah, I, yeah, I definitely want to hear your, your perspective on it as a, you know, as a musician and composer for sure. Well, um, as, and I hope I'm saying his name correctly, Enio Morcone. Mm-hmm. So I guess, and you know, you read stuff on the internet and I'm not sure if it's true or not, but <laughs> I guess his schedule was so busy and actually Enio Morcone recorded a whole bunch of music for the film that wasn't used in the film. Yeah. And so, and I guess John Carpenter kind of filled in some of the spaces and I, I've listened to some of the music that wasn't used in the film that was composed by Ennio Morricone. And, um, you know, it's, it's very, uh, it's very not to take the director's side, but you know, it's so good. The music is so ornate and great. I kind of, I get it. Like I get having the, the music be so simplistic that it, it draws you into the action on the film. It kind of, it's kind of like your plate and then all the stuff on the 
in the movie is like what's on the plate. Yeah. You know, you need a plate. If you need a plate, then have it be like a simple plate, white plate. But all the stuff on the plate is the, is the, it's what's important. So that's what people remember. And I remember too, as I, and not as I, when I decided, oh, I want to do music, I want to go to school for composing for films, I always thought, well, shoot, maybe I shouldn't do this because every time I go to see a movie, I don't remember the music so much. Like <laughs> I love the movie. I like, I love the movies, the music, the movie draws me in so much. I almost, I can't separate the two on first viewing. Can't yeah. do it. Like you got to pay attention to the film and the music supports that. And so I, I understand that. So I guess uh, the time schedules too were kind of, um, Enio had like a bunch of other movies he was scoring at the time. But, and, and then he ended up giving him uh, or he needed something quickly or something. And out, out of all the music that he gave John Carpenter, um, John only used like the title track and some some other music. I think very little of what he actually composed was in the film. Yeah. And then there was another movie and oh, I'm killing myself, kicking myself because I can't remember the name of the the movie. That- you about The Hateful Eight? Yes, yes. Yeah. And supposedly, and I want to go back and watch that movie. Actually, I don't think I ever saw Hateful Eight. It's good. And supposedly a lot of the music that Ennio Morricone composed for The Thing is is part of the soundtrack for Hateful Eight. Yeah. Yeah, so. I just I just rewatched it the other day, and it was funny because I, I didn't know that when I saw it the first time. But um, mm-hmm. that movie is very reminiscent of this movie. It feels, it's you could definitely feel a Carpenter influence and you know, it's, it's a similar idea in that, you know, there's no alien, obviously, but similar idea in that it's a bunch of guys that are like locked in a space and it's cold and they can't go away and they don't really know who's a good guy and who's a bad guy. So it's definitely got some echoes of this movie. But I remember thinking that when I saw it and then, yeah, just recently I, I found that out too. I read that, you know, they'd use some of the, the unused score from this and I was like, wow, that, that totally makes sense. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually, I don't, I, I need to get the, the score for this movie. I've, I've heard bits and pieces, but I don't own the the CD or anything of, um, of the rest of it. Cause yeah, like you said, I think they only used it like two, maybe three of the actual tracks that Marconi did. And, and the rest of it is, is either just reusing those themes or it's like just very simple kind of synth stuff that, that Carpenter and, and, um, one of the other sound designers, uh, I think his name's Alan Hoarth okay. put together. But I mean, like you said, that's one of those things where, it's being a composer must be pretty difficult because on one hand you're trying to make something that's memorable and that really matches the movie and that people will, you know, think about and, and obviously, you know, on a more business side of it, that'll get you your next job, I guess, you know, you want to do something that's good enough that'll get you noticed. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, if the music is too noticeable, then that's, it's not really doing its job. Like, you know, the whole point of the music is to kind of augment what's going on on screen and, merge with the sound design and, and, and the visuals and everything. So if it stands out, that's also kind of a problem. <laughs> yeah. And I've heard too, that in the composer's world, doing music for horror movies, is kind of like the, maybe it's not the most uh, prestigious job. <laughs> Although to me, it, I don't know, I'm sure I wouldn't feel that way, but 
you know, if you're, if you know how to use the orchestra in, you know, a million different ways, and then you, you score a horror film, like, I guess maybe it doesn't have as much prestige to it, but I've heard people say that before that, um, composers that are like, well, it's, it's a horror because you don't want to be pigeonholed. If you've got all that talent, all that capability, you don't want to be pigeonholed as a horror movie composer, but, but I, I don't know about any of that. i I don't think I'd feel that way because I don't know. I just love them. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of, a lot of my favorite scores come from horror movies. I mean, um, I think we may have mentioned earlier on about uh, it follows as, as being a, an example of one that's got such a unique, um, you know, like uh, maybe, oh, yeah. you know, maybe one of the reasons that people look down on horror movie scores is because a, a lot of them, just kind of your average generic horror movie, the scores are so similar. Like it's, it's a lot of just kind of the same tropes of like high strings and, and, you know, jump out horns and stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, just like really kind of similar stuff, but you know, you can really play with it. I mean, something like it follows where it's composed completely with like eight bit sounding, you know, almost video game. And the guy who composed it is a video games uh, music composer. Oh, wow. That's just one, a great example of how you can really do something interesting that, you know, it really it fit the movie perfectly, but it also, I mean, that's, I have that score and I, I was actually just listening to it the other day. It's, you know, it stands out in, as being a really interesting score, but it doesn't distract from the movie and, and you know, in, in, in that kind of way. And it makes me curious to wonder if, if it's a generational thing, because mm-hmm. people my age who grew up in the eighties, those, that was the score to everything like that synth sound. Yeah. And and yeah, and you have a movie about teenagers growing up, like coming of age. So it, it gets that nostalgia, you know, buzz going where you're just like, ah, oh. and it, it makes you, you know, and the whole film itself looks like an eighties film. Mm-hmm. It looks, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. Like it, it, it has a kind of a fogginess yeah. to it. Yeah, that was that's such an interesting movie because it's it does have that '80s feel to it in a way that I, I, I feel the same way as you. I can't really describe why it feels that way. <laughs> yeah, but because there's nothing in the movie that really specifically ties it to any time period. It, they, it seems like they were really careful to make it like, you know, not, not very specific so that it could take place at any time. Just pretty, it's pretty interesting the way they did that. Yeah. And it just works. The drone, maybe it's that drone feel, like that relentless, under you know, synth bass sound that's just there. All right, it follows. Scared the pants off me. Yeah, me too. Just and the whole the whole thing, just the scariest part of it. I think when they were in this where they were on the beach, mm-hmm. and in this beautiful location. See, it's that same thing. Like you can't get get away from it that beautiful location and you're they're hiding in the shed or garage whatever it is and that little kid comes through the the door (laughs) yeah and and it and i think it didn't turn into a super tall guy like a super yeah that's the one the tall guy is the one that really freaked me out oh god that tall guy man he's gonna get a lot of work because that tall guy's (laughs) scary i mean that guy Tall, skinny, scary guy. Whew. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, and then, and then she's got a, and then they're running away from you know what should be like a safe haven. 
They just can't get away. Yeah, it's just yeah. like a they, nothing they can do to escape it. That's 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 it's that, and and the other thing that makes that movie so scary is just like, you know, any anybody you see, it's not like it's a monster following them. It's it looks just like a person. So like I remember walking out of the theater and like really kind of eyeing the people walking by, like. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me and my husband did the same thing. They turned on the lights and we're like, "Is everybody gone?" Like, do you see anybody? <laughs> yeah, it's such a, such a clever movie. I mean, that's that's one. Anybody who's listened to this who has not seen It Follows, yeah, you know, that's extremely highly recommend. That's probably my favorite <laughs> horror movie from the last couple of years for sure. It's a very good one. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I guess uh, the the only thing to really mention left for for this one, I've been trying to do this at the end of every uh, with every guest is just breaking down who at this point in the movie, who do you think is the thing and who's still a human at this point? <laughs> Just based on what we've seen. So what, who, who would be your guess for who's infected at this point? I almost think it's the guy that put the dog down there. They, they make it seem like he's one, but he's one that we find out at the end is, is not, but he's, they obviously make, they try and make it out. Like he's really suspicious. <laughs> yeah. Well, I definitely fell for it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think uh, I'm one of those people who, and a lot of people say they figured it out, you know, halfway into the movie. Yeah, I'm the I'm the person who never sees it coming. <laughs> I get so swept up into it. I'm just like, what just happened? I can't believe it. That's probably I, the better way to be. You could probably enjoy the movie a lot more if you're not constantly trying to figure out who who the bad guy is or whatever. <laughs> yeah i'm definitely one that just i'm there with my popcorn just like oh, i'll see you in two hours when you forget <laughs> when you forget that you're in a theater that's the best yeah definitely um <laughs> yeah and this this is one of those kind of movies for me every time I, I see it on tv or put it on i i get totally sucked into it and and even now having like you know dissected it piece by piece and and you know, read all this stuff about it. I still, every time I watch it, I can't help. I always start like, if I'm watching it to like take notes for the podcast or something, I always start with my notebook out and I'm like taking notes and 15 minutes in, I've just like totally forgotten. That's, that's why I started watching it in the first place. You know, uh, I wonder if watching it with like little kids, like, or, you know, kids that parents would let them watch it. Yeah. That would be so fun for me. Yeah. Just to see how they would react. Definitely. This would be one to definitely, uh, that would be fun to kind of film somebody watching it for the first time. I'll bet, I'll bet some of those videos exist already on YouTube probably. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is, this one definitely has some pretty, some pretty serious surprises that you, I mean, you know, particularly the stuff that we've seen this week with the dog transformation, like there's no possible way you could see that coming. Like there's no, nobody guessed that that was going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. Yeah. And the, it's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> thank so, you, Harper. Yeah, no, thank you so much for being on the show this week. It's been really fun. Yeah, I was a little nervous, but uh you made it you yeah. made it easy. Appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> I tried. So awesome. So um I think that'll wrap up this minute and, and this week of the podcast. Thank you everybody for listening again to another week. And uh if you want to support the show, there's two really good ways to do that. Uh, the easiest way is just to go to thethingminute.com slash Amazon. That'll take you to Amazon's homepage, but the difference is anything you buy while you're uh, while you 
when you click over to that, we get a very small percentage of that to help support the podcast and, and cover hosting costs and everything like that. So um, you can do that without having to do any extra costs to yourself. Just, you know, shop at Amazon like you normally would. But you can also donate directly to the show using the donate button that's at the bottom of the website at thethingminute.com. So every little bit you can do to uh, help support the podcast makes a big difference. And we, we always appreciate that. So otherwise, I hope everybody has a has a great weekend. And if you're still not assimilated by The Thing by Monday, then make sure to come back for another episode of The Thing Minute. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash thethingminute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com and be sure to head over to starwarsminute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper signing out. Harper.